0: So work previously on one side was turn off all emotions and just like power through and work now is like i can't do my work without like really being there and like feeling all of the things and like knowing how i'm feeling and like having that level of self-awareness because i can't show up without doing that
1: welcome everyone to another episode of what it's like to be you show where i interview people about their experience as their enneagram type I'm really excited about the show today because we are interviewing a friend and client of mine named kelsey who is a type three which is also my type it's always really fun to get to talk to threes who've cultivated a level of self-awareness where we can really dig into the inner world Um, it's very personally fun for me and also it's really interesting to me how as a coach most of the clients that i coach are threes for a lot of reasons i coach a lot of people in the startup world like founders and investors And threes typically self-select into those roles more than other types. Also, there's a sense that threes are oriented to self-development naturally. And because of that, they're the most likely type to seek out a coach. So I find myself taking more meetings with threes than any other type. Type three, the achiever is, or I like to call it the value seeker. The passion of a three is vanity. And it's really just, We use the word vanity in all kinds of different ways these days, but what it's pointing to is a kind of suffering in the heart where it feels like I have to become extraordinary or be absolutely outstanding at something in order to justify my existence. Otherwise, I'm doomed to the oblivion of worthlessness. The basic desire is to be valuable and to be a person worthy of admiration. This is a really great introduction to the three, this conversation. I think Kelsey is really inspiring and the company she is building even itself has a three-ish quality. And her journey is really beautiful from the point of view of three. Basically, you're gonna we're gonna get into this in the actual conversation, but early in her career, wanting to find a place of work that was like her ticket to success and then having a really bad experience and then kind of having a moment of deep inner reconciliation where she had to ask herself what she really wanted which is in a sense like the thing that's most important for all threes and every three if they're lucky (laughs) has has a kind of reconciliation like this and so we get into that we get into what her what she's currently up to and we get into of course what it's like to be her as a three and certainly, now as a three founder and leader of a company that has, as I said, this kind of three ish flavor. Her company, just a quick thing about it, is she is building a company called Candor, which is trying to help people give and receive more authentic feedback to create more interpersonal goodness in the workplace so that you can find your kind of home in a workplace. And I'm going to let her speak about it because she's a great spokesman for it. And I think we'll just get into it. So without further ado, please welcome my friend Kelsey. Welcome everyone to another interview. I'm very excited to be joined by my friend Kelsey today. Kelsey is the founder of a new company, a new startup called Candor, which we're gonna get into in a little bit. She's also currently living in Lisbon and is a, generally speaking, a world traveler. And she also leads with Enneagram type three, self-preservation three. So hi, Kelsey. Thank you for doing this.
0: Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me.
1: So my favorite question to start is what's it like to be introduced?
0: Um, It's always a little bit weird hearing someone reflect back what they perceive of you. Um, But yeah, your introduction feels pretty, pretty spot on. But yeah, sometimes can be a little bit awkward.
1: Yeah, one one thing that's really interesting is with different enneagram types, some sometimes it it's it's like extremely weird, like a sort of out of body experience. And um, what I'm curious about from the three perspective is that, like three sort of the textbook three thing is being identified with what I do in some sense. And so mm-hmm. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if it's more natural for threes to be introduced, like, "Oh yeah, I've done this stuff, and this is how this is kind of who I am."
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's the only way I've gotten introduced in the past is like, "This is Kelsey, and this is her title." Um, I don't know that most of my introductions get the <laughs> world traveler Lisbon piece, which is definitely part of me. So I like it.
1: Yeah. 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 Cool. So. Will you, let's start with, um, will you share with us your Enneagram origin story?
0: Yeah. Um. So when I actually first started working in startups, everyone on the team saw the same coach mm-hmm. and this coach was an Enneagram teacher. And so after our first session with him, he had us all take the like free online Enneagram test. Mm-hmm. And my manager at the time was very into the Enneagram as well. He also had seen this coach in the past and was very curious kind of what everybody was. And he was an eight. And so I took it and was a three and was like, oh my God, this is spot on. I remember reading it at work and I think I took the test at like 2 p.m. And by the time I left at five, I had done nothing besides reading different Enneagram articles (laughs) about threes and threes matched with eights and threes matched with twos and just really trying to wrap my head around Kind of this undiscovered landscape of like mm-hmm. how I work and all of these things that I just hadn't perceived about really my relationships. So yeah, I had learned about it in the context of work very quickly. I had texted all of my friends and family and was like, you need to take this test right now. <laughs> uh, and yeah, kind of introduced it to the other spheres of life in that way.
1: How did you know you were three?
0: Um... Actually, when I took it, I was going through kind of a stressful time at work, and I think a lot of the fixations of the three felt very real. Um, in particular, I I read the kind of the summary of the three and pictured this meeting at work I had had like the week before where I was really stressed. I was like under a deadline and definitely not the best meeting of my career. But like I looked up and I was like, hey, guys. This meeting is a giant waste of time. I need to get back to work. <laughs> <And> <laughs> reflecting on that, I was like, oh, right. Got it. Yep. This checks out. Um, so it was basically like, I think, where I was at in the life stage, all of the fixations really resonated. Um, and so it was very easy to be like, yeah, cringy, but I, I do that.
1: Yeah. So let's just follow this theme for a second. This, like... Needs to get back to work, or orientation towards efficiency and things that are waste of time and things like that. Yeah. Do you have some texture for us about that? Like, um, (laughs) maybe just what's your inner experience of the desire to work and the desire for uh, to be efficient in work as a problem? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it almost feels like it's like my, my desired mode is to be working. And Mm -hmm. if I could like my desired speed, like what I feel great at, what I feel like I'm just like sprinting in, it's working. Um, and it's always felt like that even from when I was very young, I just like, I love checking things off a list. I love like finishing homework assignment or I love finishing a thing on my to-do list now at work and just like being done and moving on and feeling accomplished.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, it, it doesn't really matter if it's work stuff. Um I also get kind of like this fixation or just like need to check it off when it comes to like exercising or even meditating sometimes, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's like, uh yeah, it does, it does feel a little bit obsessive sometimes in the unhealthy states and like in a healthier state, it's just like, wow, I can like get so much done, uh, this is so cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But but yeah, it, in a lot of cases, I think it also can kind of take me away from things that are uncomfortable in life um, and actually just like transport me into this mode that's very comfortable and productive and efficient and like, I love it. And so sometimes if I'm you know feeling a lot of emotions or like just going through a hard time, diving into work can kind of be a safe haven too.
1: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And also as a three, I'm relating. But yeah, I think one of the things that I just want to unpack here, particularly, you know, if you're not a three, or even maybe not an assertive type, then it it's sort of like, it can be confusing or like, why are threes doing all this work? Like, what's what are they sort of getting out of it? Why aren't they resting? <laughs> you know? And <laughs> yeah. um, what I'm hearing from you is it's almost like a way of self regulating. It's like, if if yes. I'm working, that's what that's what actually makes me feel good. Whereas sometimes yeah. they get really excited about their leisure time, or it's like when they can finish work, it's like, oh, thank God I can unplug for the day. It's almost like the reverse.
0: For it's the reverse, yeah. yeah. Like I feel like I have to, like the things outside of work are like okay, like I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna. Do my silly little walk to the silly little gym and like do my workout for my silly little mental health, but then I get to like go back to my desk and like power through all the shit I get to do today. Like just like <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> so it's it is definitely reversed. I I think uh, especially when I love my work, I think that always it hasn't always been the case. There's been times where work can feel very mundane or repetitive, but um, particularly in starting a company where every day is really different and challenging and kind of like different problems that I can context switch into. Uh, That is my totally my jam.
1: This um, loving your work versus not loving your work thing. I think that's a really interesting theme too. And especially in the context of three, I'm curious how you relate to this. Like one thing that I've certainly experienced as a three. And I think a lot of threes experience is, Finding themselves in uh, situations where work is required of them to perform well, but it's not yeah. something that's really their passion. But doing it anyway, or what's it, what's what's it like? And can you contrast doing work that you don't love versus work that you do love? And what is there a that yeah. can you paint that landscape for us?
0: Yeah, um, I think. It's so easy to look around and say, this is what people want me to be or want me to do. And knowing that I'm, can be good at it, just like start running in a path that I don't feel particularly connected to, but I look around and I'm like, all right, well, like this is what my friends think I am, or this is what my parents want me to be. And so I'm just going to like go do that thing and like be that thing for them. Cause that, that also is like a weird kind of like, it makes makes maybe like in a sense could feel like success is like being what the people around you want you to be. Like that can mm-hmm. feel like success. And so it's really easy to get caught in that trap. And I definitely have been in roles where that was the case, where living in San Francisco, for example, everyone's like, oh, you know, you have to join a rocket ship and you have to be early at the rocket ship and equity and all of these things you are going to learn so much about the zero to 10,000 or whatever it is. Um... And that's, that's the dream. Like, that's the dream of being mm-hmm. in San Francisco and being in Silicon Valley. So I was like, yeah, that's definitely my dream. Uh, and so I joined a rocket ship uh, as like employee eight. And to give you a sense, like I didn't know what the product did until like week three on the job. And like, honestly, I didn't care. <laughs> <Just Wow>. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like sad, sad, sick, uh, awful. But I was just like, this is my... this is my ticket. Like, this is where I'm going to learn. This is where I'm going to like grow into this kind of like success story that everyone talks about. Like, this is the Mm -hmm. reason why I work in startups. And on that journey, I was at that company for just over a year. And it was, it was really tough because on one hand I had this like picture of what everyone thought, you know, was being successful in Silicon Valley, which is like join an early stage startup, have a ton of impact, own a lot of different domains within the company, you know, scale your teams, blah, blah, blah. And on the other hand, like, I didn't really fit with the culture. Um, I didn't really enjoy working with my teammates. I had no care at all for what the product did or was or the space that we were in or the problem that we were solving. And so on one side, like alignment and all the things that I thought I should be aligned on was there. And on the other side, it was like all of the things that I didn't perceive to be important were just so, so mismatched. Um so yeah, that was definitely that was a probably like non-aligned <laughs> experience of being a three, of just kind of chasing what everyone told me I should be chasing.
1: Yeah. I, I was actually just in the moment there really struck by your use of the word the dream. Like that's that's the dream. Yeah. Almost like this. Yeah. Um this, this thing that exists in the sky, like that we look up to, it's like, this is the, the capital T, capital D, the dream.
0: And how did you
1: like, where did that come from? And what's, in other words, I'm wondering where you got the idea that that was the dream.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it started as a child, right? Like Mm -hmm. parents being like, Hey, you're going to go get a good job and you're going to make a lot of money. And Mm -hmm. maybe one day you'll Mm -hmm. land in Forbes. Right. <laughs> that was like from kind of a younger age, like mm-hmm. parents being like, hey, go get yourself a good job, make something of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then I think after moving out to San Francisco, I joined a company that didn't have any product market fit, but I loved it. Like I drank all the Kool Aid that they served at this company. Uh, <laughs> and th- the product didn't work. Like <laughs> it was very much like not the dream. And mm-hmm. I remember going to like, Uh, Dolores Park and hanging out with other people in tech. And I was so high. I was like, I just like, I love the team. Like we're building something that matters. And they're like, yeah, but like, are you guys making money? Like, Uh are you raising more, are you raising more VC funds? And I was like, well, no, like we're still like trying to figure all that stuff out, but like, it's so fun. And I think (laughs) like kind of comparing to my peers who were also on like, you know, rocket ship trajectories, they were kind of like, oh, Kelsey, like, How cute, like, I'm happy you're happy. Mm -hmm. But like, you're not actually going to make any money that way. You actually like are wasting your time and your talent Mm -hmm. by going to a company that isn't doing as well as, you know, the 27 other million companies in SF that are exploding right now. So like, kind of like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh God, yeah, you're right. Like, what am I doing? (laughs) Being happy? What? No, I need to go join a rocket ship. (laughs) Um, So Uh
1: (laughs) that's a really... Really interesting contrast that you just painted too. So this first company, just to like get the landscape, first company was something you loved, but it wasn't going to be successful. You sort of understood right. that or kind of could tell early on in some way. Yeah. And then, yeah. so is what happened was you, you chose to leave and then go somewhere else?
0: Yeah. So the the company <laughs> at the time was, was not doing super well. Um, and we ended up having kind of an aqua hire acquisition, but not really an acquisition, more of a acquisition of the team. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was like, you know what, I'm going to go figure out what to do next. And my only prerequisite was the company needs to be crushing it. Um, like blatant, this company is going to do so well. Mm -hmm. And I basically laid aside all of the things that were great about my previous experience and was like, this is the only thing that matters. Like maniacally, like. This is yeah. the thing that will make me win. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. <laughs> it's funny. I'm um I feel like it's sort of charming the way you're describing this um but I can also I can feel the intensity of that narrowness and
0: Yeah. Totally.
1: The, yeah, like it's almost like it's funny the way you're telling it in retrospect, but the the experience of like having been at a place that you're like, "Okay, wait, this was not 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 a ticket, to use your word. Yeah, like it wasn't a good right. ticket, and so something like finding a good ticket or like a tat, you know, supergluing exactly. yourself to a rocket ship um, exactly. became the thing. Yeah. So so then after so you worked there for a year and you realized and you didn't like it.
0: Yeah. True. It was it was awful um, yeah yeah it was definitely like a low part like low point in my life I would say um mm-hmm. because work has been the safe haven and even if the business wasn't doing well or I was taking a class I didn't like in college or you know something wasn't aligned I always like enjoyed doing things like I loved mm-hmm. getting up getting out of bed and like conquering my day and this working at this company was the first time in my life where I just like I didn't want to do anything. Like I wanted to like lay in bed all day, which for a three is like a really weird feeling. Um, And yeah, it just like, I didn't feel useful anymore. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like valued at the company at all. Um, And I didn't feel like even when I was doing well, it meant anything. Um, Where that's like, that's very different. Cause like I could derive joy of just like, I could have a to-do list which is like water plants. <laughs> like I check it off and I'm like, yes, did it. Um, and so to like be growing a company to like millions and millions of dollars of revenue and like not feel value from that was a mm. really weird experience that I wasn't, I guess, expecting.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So so then what happened? What's this what's the rest of the story?
0: Yeah, well, um, basically got to a point where I was physically getting really sick. Um, so I was getting like migraines, uh, every single day and so nauseous that like I couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, right, (laughs) this is weird. Uh, like this is just not going to fly. And so, yeah, basically like did a year was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, and decided to leave, had no plan, no, Uh and like no idea what I was going to do next. I had no idea of like leaving made me unmarketable as a candidate. I had no idea what type of company would even excite me. I looked at JDs for like two months straight and they all seemed awful. I was like, I'm just not excited about any of these jobs. Um, So for a while I was just kind of exploring, decompressing, taking walks on the beach um, and just like really trying to figure out who I wanted to be um, because Clearly I had like done the dream and that, that wasn't me. And so like kind of, it was like, what, what is, what is me? Um, Mm. So I had always had this like kind of itch in the back of my head of like, I really want to start something. And I had started things on a smaller scale. I had started organizations in college. I had um, worked with a classmate of mine who started a company and worked on that company for a couple of years in school and so, like, I loved kind of the entrepreneurial journey, uh, but at the time I was very scared of, like, well, what do I start? Like, what can I bring to the world that doesn't exist yet? And, like, am I actually going to be good enough to do that? Like, will anyone care what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. So it was maybe four months of of just, like, kind of that type of headspace And I consulted for a bit just to kind of like make money and not put pressure on the process. Mm -hmm. Um, And like six months after I left, kind of was like, all right, I'm ready to work full time on what is now candor. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, kind of like started the the founding process there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is, gosh, there's so many directions to go from this. Um, One thing that I wanted to point out about your story and even the way that you were framing it is like you tried something and you realized that it wasn't you and so then this question what is me that's in a sense such a fundamental three question and um what was the process like like how did you how did you know what what how do you know what is and isn't you
0: Yeah. I think I was so deep into what is not me. And this felt like mentally really taxing, like not wanting to get out of bed in the morning, but also like physically really taxing. I, you know, got actually like sick from it. And, um, yeah. And then, and then, yeah. So I I think I was so far deep into the zone of like, all right, this is not working. Um, that basically as I started decompressing, there were small things that I was bringing into my routine, like I actually took oil painting in college and loved it. I don't consider myself creative at all. um, But for some reason, oil painting just like was really cool to Mm -hmm. me. And I just like really enjoyed the time. So when I I left my job, I was like, you know what? Every single Friday, I'm going to oil paint for two hours. Mm. And I don't know what I'm going to paint. I'm not going to plan it. I'm just like every Friday, I'm going to sit down and paint. Mm -hmm. Which at the time felt really indulgent. And I think that's probably another theme of the three is... doing things that don't feel productive or don't feel efficient or like, it's not like I was scouring job boards the entire time I was going through this process. It was like, you know what, I know I feel good when I paint and it clears my mind. So I'm going to do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And like two hours a week was a lot of that for me. Um, Like sometimes I would just sit there and be done with my painting, but I'd like spend time just perfecting it because that was my like my, my two hour sprint. So yeah. anyway, it was a lot of like figuring out what made me feel grounded. So painting was one, but like yoga, um, I really like the ocean. So it was also like spending time by a beach. So yeah, it it was definitely not structured in a way that normally maybe my exploration of something would be structured.
1: I'm really struck actually by the kind of the gift that you gave yourself to spend, not to rush into the next thing and to kind of take some time and decompress and reflect and do things like painting and walking on the beach, which is kind of a thing that's like, not a lot of threes let themselves have that time. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, initially I was like, all right, I'm gonna give myself six months. And as I started Mm. going through it, I was like, if I rush into the next thing and I go back to the place that I was at, When I was leaving that job, like what, what a waste of time that will be,
1: you Mm -hmm. know, to
0: like Mm -hmm. basically settle in because I was rushing my like time off or figuring it out time.
1: Interesting. So there's kind of even a way that you justified it in your head as like, this actually (laughs) is going to be worth my time, even though maybe doesn't feel like it in the moment because yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then is... Is founding candor or being a founder sort of like part of, or a variation on quote unquote, the dream?
0: Um, Founding like candor in particular um, has felt like the most me thing I've ever done and yeah, i don't I don't actually think that it would be anybody else's dream, so it's definitely not the dream. um it's uh-huh. it's definitely my dream. And I guess the reason why I say that is it's not like in the same way that the company that I worked at that is the rocket ship, like that was such an obvious kind of like great business, great venture backed, grows super fast. like mm-hmm. it's obviously going to succeed. And candor's in this space where We're trying to solve like a real human problem, which is like, how do you understand what somebody is like to work with? Mm. And that's a really hard problem to solve. Um, It's like (laughs) the most important problem I've ever encountered ever in my life. Um, So it's like, this is my dream is like, if I could help someone else understand themselves, help someone else understand their teammates so they could have really great relationships at work, like I've won. My like, that's my dream, Mm. but it's not like a, you know, slam dunk, definitely going to happen. Like, it's going to be really freaking hard if we make it happen. Um, it's a thing I want to work on, but yeah, it doesn't feel like the, maybe the fastest point to success is not this path.
1: Sure. Yeah. Say more about why it's your dream. And also maybe, can you, can you say more about candor itself? And also, just because I know you, the the way that it's framed up now in your head, like the whole Nike, just do it analogy thing, which has a three-ish flavor. Yeah. yeah. Can you give (laughs) some texture on all that? Yes.
0: Yes. Um, So basically, candor today is we are trying to help people become more um, Mm self-aware by getting them real feedback on what they're like to work with from Mm -hmm. their teammates, on both kind of like what they're great at. So like their strengths, but also maybe where they're still growing and like we call those edges. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like kind of a self-awareness piece, which is like you walk through an assessment yourself and you're like, hey, how do I perceive myself? Yeah. And then your teammates also walk through the same assessment and they're like, hey, Kelsey, like this is where I perceive that you're crushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I perceive that you might want to spend more time and grow in. So it's, um, it's kind of a feedback product. It's kind of like a team building product. Um, but I think ultimately the vision is how do we become more authentic on the internet and how do we become more authentic at work? Mm -hmm. And right now those two things are kind of combining right before it was like, I show up at work and I'm like, you know, this box that is Kelsey. And then I go home and I can like take off my shoes and relax and be the real me. Mm -hmm. And that's just not how we work anymore. You know, we're on Zoom all day. We're remote. Um, We're also like seeing kind of the rise of consultants and creators and people who just have more flexible work. And I think naturally work is going to become much more part of life. And so how do we kind of show who we are at work in a way that's more authentic than what we do today, which is like a LinkedIn, you know, digital resume doesn't actually show you who you are as a human. and that has increasingly become way more important to do. So that's kind of the the vision and the kind of like, we talked about a little bit about like this Nike example. Mm-hmm. And I get very excited about how we can celebrate kind of like the athletes at work or like kind of the MVPs of the teams, um, because they're just like, it is so cool. I think when you really understand who somebody is like what makes them tick, what like makes them want to like go all the way and just like be the best version of who they want to be at work. Mm -hmm. Um, That is so cool. And it's like Olympic athlete level of like celebrating somebody. Like when you see someone crushing it at work, it is just like, for me, I'm just like, oh, yes. (laughs) Like, yeah. So there's also just like kind of how Nike celebrates athletes. I think candor can very much celebrate just like the all stars at at work.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's a lot. So first of all, I'm feeling touched <laughs> by your description of this, and in the three way, it's like, and also as a three, I have this real resonance with the way you're describing, like celebrating and the idea of like a pe- someone at work is being thought of as an athlete, like fucking going for, You're know yes. like crushing. The, <laughs> yes, these are very three themes. Like, and um, yeah. So, I, so just pulling out a couple other themes, authenticity, big three word, um, it's sort of textbook Enneagram, the the virtue of the three is authenticity, being being myself. And I love the way that you're framing how just the general structure of work and life as we move to a remote work environment and also just generally into the future there's a way of the work life separation is blurring and mm-hmm. there's a sense of bringing more of ourselves and how do we really know who we are and, and be that at work. So that's a whole yeah. thing. And <clears throat> I think also, I just want to point out, like I could, f- the a word like inspiration comes the sense of like feeling inspired, um, feeling maybe in like a state of flow or, or, um, fulfilling and r- surfing on like my potential yes. is like these are all this is these are my language not yours but it's like that's what yeah, I was kind of getting yeah. from your word cloud there can you say why is that important to you why is that so such a big deal
0: i feel like and this kind of actually brings us full circle because i've always enjoyed doing things but there is a special feeling i get when i'm doing something in this realm that like feels like something I can uniquely bring to the world. Mm. And if I were doing anything else, it wouldn't feel like this. And there's just like, there is this, um, it it just feels like magic, I guess. And Mm. so, yeah, I just, now that I've had even like a taste of it, (laughs) I don't think I could ever, you know, take a job where this isn't the case. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it's important because I think I, I for so long just thought work was like checking things off a list and like feeling accomplished. Um, yeah. But when it's tied to a deeper mission and a deeper passion, it feels like absolute magic. Like work right now, just, yeah, it's it's magic.
1: Oh, that's a big, I love this distinction you're making. So can you paint that polarity? So on the one hand, work is checking things off a list and feeling accomplished On the other hand, it's what?
0: It's it's like it's contributing the thing to the world that only I can contribute. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe it's like. really showing up in a way where I feel like I'm bringing everything, like all these parts of me, even the parts where I'm like, like even like emotions are part of it, right? So work previously on one side was turn off all emotions and just like power through Mm -hmm. and work now is like, I can't do my work without like really being there and like feeling all of the things and like knowing how I'm feeling and like having that level of self-awareness because I can't show up without doing that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's definitely on this other spectrum as part of like, I guess like what I'm bringing to the table and not just that I'm showing up at the table.
1: Yeah. It's almost like, or my words for it are so, so you have on this one hand productivity checklists feeling accomplished on the other hand,
0: yeah,
1: a state of, um, bringing my whole self to something that is it's like it's like the fibers of my being are are aligning themselves to something that um that feels like me and that feels really nourishing in the process of just being and doing it
0: yes yeah exactly
1: um so this thing about emotions and turning them off versus having them present is also an interesting three theme can you talk about like, has that been a journey for you? Is there is there a kind of before and after that you can trace of?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. yes.
1: So, go ahead, What what's that like?
0: Yeah, I mean, the before photo is definitely kind of in college, I was just like this human doer. Mm-hmm. Um, I did everything, like every club, every class, mm-hmm. every like social thing, I just did yeah. it, it all. Um, and it really didn't leave a lot of space for emotions because emotions were just inefficient and slowed me down. And like, I didn't have time to cry between like the two minutes I had between this class and this club. Like it was just like, no, turn it off, shove it down, move on. Mm. <laughs> um, and the before photo was like at times I would get, and I didn't like kind of internalize it at the time, but like I had moments where I would sit in my closet and organize my shoes because like. <laughs> that was the sense of control that I needed. Um, and like, that was my outlet, which is like really strange, but like my shoes are always like, they were always color coordinated and just like perfectly in line, which is, uh, bizarre <laughs> looking back on now. Um, but I would say like, it's been a really uncomfortable journey. And I think you've seen a lot of this as in our coaching time together, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, When I made the decision of, like, I'm going to go through this time of uncertainty and have no idea what I'm going to do next, but I'm going to give myself a chance to figure it out, Um, that, like, not knowing what I was doing, being unemployed, um, and basically all of the, like, labels that I was really terrified of my whole life, it took a lot to, like, really be in that and also just like keep my heart open to whatever emotion would come up. Um, and it was, I think I had this fear when I was going through that of like, am I ever going to stop crying? Like, I'm pretty sure if I start, I'm just Mm. not going to stop. Cause I've just like, (laughs) I've like suppressed all of these things for so many years. Uh, and so I did stop crying. Um, so that was good. And (laughs) it's, it's, um, I really liked the metaphor you used of just like the, the surfing, the waves, because there, there like was definitely a time in my journey where I feel like I was just getting pummeled and I was in the, the, what is it? The break zone. Sure. Um, and you know, it's like, it's very emotionally draining. Mm -hmm. And I feel like now that I've gotten a little bit more in touch or maybe just even more comfortable with having emotions, we'll start there. Um, (laughs) It's been, (laughs) it's been easier, like going through a difficult time and like really feeling all of those things in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been trying to remind myself, it's like, it's not an inconvenience. It's, you know, it's just like, it's part of the process and this is part Mm -hmm. of life. And if right. I don't do it now, it's going to come out later and it's going to take way longer to untwine, you know, all the things I've suppressed for so long. So um, I should just like do it now and like be sad and be in my feels because uh, <laughs> otherwise it's going to be like a lot of trauma I need to fix. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: I just, it's so funny to me how type reveals itself in all these ways. Like even the way that you're describing being with your feelings, it's like, okay, let me just do do this now <laughs> so, that it, yes. so that it doesn't- Yes cost me a lot more time so i don't like like get
0: caught organizing my shoes in the closet yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Yeah. um so the actually one of the things that you said that i i really resonate with actually as a three myself is the sense of if i start crying it'll be forever yeah i won't be able to turn it off and that's can you just say something like uh, some words about that? Like, what is the, what is that experience like? And actually, it's let me like, let me let me frame it a little a little more. It's like, yeah. What I'm picturing is there you are going about your day or your life, and you're being productive, efficient, doing lots of things, and yeah. feelings are coming up in some kind of way, and it's and you're aware of it. And you're, and it's almost like you're aware that you could sort of dip into it. But if you did, there would be something that like, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So what's.
0: Yeah. It's like a trade-off. Like every single time an emotion comes up, either you're like with it and you do it then, or you have like this, like, it's like an IOU book or like a backlog. It's like. And this is like a shitty startup comparison, but it's like either you ship one new product thing a week or you put it in the backlog, but like you can only ship one new product thing a week. You can only like feel the feeling, you know, when you have it, or you stick it in the backlog and all of a sudden you have this like long list of like shit you need to build tomorrow (laughs) and you can't do that. And so it just like, you feel like everything's just going to combust at the seams um, and like, this is like the same thing with emotions is like, if you leave too many things in the backlog, the feeling is, is like, oh my God, if I even open the door, if I even like open that Asana board, I'm just going to explode because like, oh my God, how much stuff I've been shoving back there. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as someone like, and this is like still, I'm going with a stupid metaphor, but like someone pulls a task from the backlog and it's like, Hey, but what about this? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, Hey, Kelsey, like, what about that like little trauma that you just like never really looked at because you were busy? And like Mm -hmm. someone just like pulls a thread and you're like, oh my God, I can't eat like, whoa. Like if I like look at that now, there's so much stuff I have to deal with. (laughs) Like as a as a product of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I love I love this analogy. (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: (laughs) awful. I'm sorry. (laughs) No,
1: it's okay. It's it's like um, I mean, it's really vivid in terms of describing the 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 real feeling of overwhelm like yeah and um yeah this it also in a sense gives a whole new meaning to the word flow which is another sort of three word it's like being yeah. in flow is allowing things to flow for example your emotions not sort of yes um canning them or or cauterizing it yes. or like you know letting the pipe get gunked up
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah No, that's, that feels super real where it's like, um, actually personally right now, I feel like I've been kind of on a high for a while, um, Mm -hmm. where the team is crushing it. Like work is just like really good. Um, I'm living in my favorite place on the entire planet, which is Lisbon. Mm -hmm. And like, everything has just been like kind of up here flowing. Mm -hmm. And there's been moments I think recently where like things start to dip and, something in my life is like comes up where it's just difficult and there's a lot of emotions with it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like everything's just like kind of fallen off the flow. It's just like, it just feels like this is a dip. Mm -hmm. And I have to like be with it because I guess if we're like talking about like flow thinking like of a surfboard, right. So you're like on a wave and then like kind of have this like lull and you're just kind of laying there and you're like, yep, I'm here. I'm still with it. Like Mm -hmm. this kind of sucks. But like, I'm not going to derail my whole life to like feel this emotion, but I'm just like going to be with it. And it's just like part of my life. Mm -hmm. Because I think for a long time, I felt like when there was like bad news or catastrophe or like something came up, if I dealt with it in that moment, everything would take a pause. Mm -hmm. And I would just like have to sit there and cry for like, I don't know, seven days straight or something. (laughs) Um, But yeah, more and more I'm feeling like bad things can happen and I'm probably just like, it's going to suck. And like, it feels bad, but like, it's still the same, you know, like I'm still just going still life. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was, yeah.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to geek out in an Enneagram way for a second, just because there's um an interesting concept here that you're bringing a lot of life to. And that is that, so the idea that we have a relationship with all this, all our body, heart and mind and the, yeah. Type three has this almost like binary way of being. It's either it's like either I'm in my body mind, which is like my yeah. mind creates the to-do list, my body goes and executes, but the heart's right. out of the picture. And if it were to come into the picture, like my emotions, for example, it would utterly overwhelm yes. me and destroy my entire life. Yes. Um, and I can't do
0: any body, can't do any mind things. i right. just like there crying. Yes. And there's like this wall yes. separating. <laughs> and if
1: I'm over in the heart space, then I just have to be here for seven days while I'm crying. But there's yes. this kind of growth, part of the growth journey of the three is letting that that wall dissolve and then bringing my heart with me always. And so right. the sense of, yeah, so that's in a sense, like you read about that maybe in an Enneagram textbook, or I was thinking actually of this particular section in a book called Understanding the Enneagram um, by Don wilson yeah. But But um, anyway, so you read about like the, the body and the heart and the mind, but here's like you're actually living this example of what that really means. So, um, anyway, that's thanks for indulging in my little explanation there. Um, no, I
0: love it. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, let's talk about rest.
0: Oh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: What's your relationship with rest? Resting.
0: Ah. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's like, it's very, it's, it's come up a lot lately. Um, Mm -hmm. since, since starting candor, I think I've just been so energized by work that I, I haven't taken time to rest. And when I have, it's been almost like I didn't mean to, um, I mentioned to you that like, I was like, ah, so indulgent. I spent three hours just laying on the couch watching Netflix. Yeah. Like, And I like, oh can't believe I did that. <laughs> and it <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was like a Sunday and I had spent like the entire day working and I just like had gotten home and just like melted into my couch. I don't think I even took my shoes off. And it just was like one of those things where I was like, oh, like I just felt so like almost gluttonous that I had done that. Mm-hmm. Um so so recently I did I took my first day off in a while and uh, was encouraged not to make any plans um, <laughs> and just like go outside and go for a walk and see where I ended up. And and honestly, it was very restorative in a weird way. I think usually my vacations are like have a purpose. Um, so like I'm either going to like go see a thing or like go see a friend or like do something. And so it was a very weird um exercise not to have a goal associated with a time or day or like, you know, anything, even leaving the house without a goal is like very strange. So I think that was actually restful in a way that I hadn't maybe experienced before because most of my rest is either like not, not planned, um, or like planned to a T it's like either like, I'm like, so tired that like I just end up on the couch for three hours and that's like wild and feels really bad. Or I've like planned my entire vacation to a T and it's like, well, I've like checked off the list of seeing my friends that I haven't seen in a while or seeing this new place that I haven't seen or trying this new food. And so, yeah, recently I've been trying to stay out of those two buckets and be actually uh, restorative with the time.
1: Right. So have you discovered or are you discovering now? what kinds of like what is restorative for you and what does it mean to be restored
0: i do think a lot of it is like my mental state so um actually like meditation is very restorative it's not and maybe it's like, maybe it is considered rest, but like every single day I I try to meditate at least for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that part of my day, I actually like, it's, it's, it's not being not stressed is maybe the thing I'm kind of struggling with. Cause it's not like relaxing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, I need to do this thing to give my brain space to show up the way that I want to show up when I'm, you know, at work or at home or whatever. Um, and I think of like my day off walking around my neighborhood with no plan very similarly where it's like I needed to give my brain a rest um, so that it could basically like perform better when I needed it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, it's it's a lot of like the mental space of how can I like disconnect, be a little bit more present and just like get a little bit more grounded. Um, and it, it doesn't take long to do that. So it doesn't feel like I need to like, go sleep or go on a vacation. It's just like, how do I get back to a place where my mind is in the right spot?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so how do you, how do you summon the discipline in yourself to stay consistent with the meditation practice or something like that?
0: Um, if I'm not being disciplined, then I make it like (laughs) forced, uh, forced fun. Uh, where it's like, okay, uh, I've been really bad with meditation. And so I actually, I now like put it into my schedule. So every Mm -hmm. day I go exercise and that's been part of my routine now for a few years. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of layer in meditation with something that I know I'm going to be doing every day Mm -hmm. um, because I am a routine person. So it Mm -hmm. kind of comes natural, more naturally that way than like, oh, I'm just going to fit it in when I have time because that does not (laughs) work for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's... I want to, I'm trying to hone in on one particular thing that's, I think is really interesting for the three is there's a way that each Enneagram type resists doing something like meditation. It's like, there's some kind of, yeah there's some kind of inner excuse that pops up that has a flavor for each Enneagram type. Oh yeah. Yeah. So do you know what I'm talking about? I I don't actually
0: need to do this today. It's a waste of time. Yeah. No. Yes. Mm. I've told myself all those things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cool. I'm thinking about you as a founder and just, I want to kind of explore a little bit of that sandbox and, and in the context of being a three, like for example, raising money from investors and the the aspect of three that is aware of how I'm coming across to people, the sort of the, the presentationalism, which is maybe yeah. Actually, I'm using that word neutrally. It's almost like there's this way. This is my experience, and I'm curious if you relate to it as a three. Is like the <laughs> in the inescapable awareness that I am being perceived in some way. <laughs> it's like yes, and and
0: uh, yeah,
1: and yeah. So, can you talk about that? And in particular, like being being, I think raising money is a really interesting domain to explore that in. And maybe there's also yeah. we'll start there. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, raising money was probably the most difficult thing I have had to do uh, since starting a company. And and not because like it's it was hard in a traditional sense. Like it it didn't take that long. It didn't, you know, I it wasn't I was able to do it, which is kind of the metric for success. Mm-hmm. Um, but mentally I was in such a bad place fundraising, mm. uh, because it is like when you're raising at the stage that Candor's out, which is quite early, when someone gives you money, it's not because they think that what you've built is like incredible, amazing, like they love exactly what you've done to date. It's like, OK, Kelsey seems like she might be kind of smart and maybe she likes this industry and we think the market is cool. And so we're just like going to take a bet on that, like Kelsey can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so because of the fact that it was so early when I was first fundraising, I didn't have a team. And so any failure felt so personal. Right. It was like, they don't like me. Mm-hmm. They don't like this thing that like I love that like, like I said, like feels very me also. Yeah. Like this is like the problem I've decided to dedicate my life to. Yeah. And so you can imagine, you know, I so I chatted in my first round of fundraising, chatted with about 60 investors. And like maybe like 40 of them, we'll call it 30 because some of them just like don't get back to you. But uh, 30 (laughs) of them are like, no thank you, I'm not interested. And I'm like, okay, like, ouch, Um, like you don't like me or you don't like this like mission that I'm working on and Mm -hmm. that sucks because like, maybe am am I not seeing what you're seeing about me? Like, is there something that like inherently is not worth even the risk of investing, even a small amount. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the beginning, it just like, it felt so deeply personal. And and of course, every founder who's fundraised before is like, don't take it personally. Everyone gets rejected. But like, no, as a three, it is so hard to like all day, every day, you're on the phone, like really putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And you're putting this thing out there and you're asking people for money, which is like really weird of a thing. Like, it's a weird thing to do is to ask oh, people for money for sure. this thing that you built by yourself. <laughs> and they're like, no. And you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say it, it it's, it's different than any other thing I've ever done. Um, and yeah, in a way, it like ma- has made me a lot more comfortable with like failing and being told no. I think I definitely, I thought I had been told no before. I, I definitely hadn't like this. Um, so yeah, the second time I went in fundraise, it was a, it was definitely different. Um, but that first round of getting rejected constantly and knowing that these people either don't like you or don't like what you're building is really hard to stomach, especially when you don't have a team, right? Like there's no one else around to like really take the brunt of this besides, and I'm, I'm a solo founder also, I don't think this Mm -hmm. is the case for every founder, Mm -hmm. but like being like, it's, it's on me, like all of this failure, all of this rejection is just a reflection of me. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it. And like, it was a huge learning experience, huge learning curve, but it was, it was hard.
1: What helped you get through that? What was that? What helped you get through that?
0: Um, my partner. Um, honestly, I don't think I had one really low day where I was like, "I'm gonna fail. No one's gonna give me any money. I'm gonna Mm -hmm. have to like put my tail in between my legs and like go get a job because this is like not gonna work without being able to raise money," Mm -hmm. and. I was just like, I was so down. I had gotten a rejection from this investor that I really liked and I thought we clicked with. And it's like going on a fantastic first date or even a second date and then the person being like, I'm just not that into you. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I got one of those emails and I woke up and I was like, I'm not getting out of bed this morning. Just like, I'm not into it. I'm tired. I'm no, I'm like, I'm so sad. He's like, get up. You can like go cry on the treadmill, but like, we're going to go to the gym. We're going to like get you moving. And honestly, like that was all I needed is like, I just needed a little kick in the butt and not having a co-founder. I think I could have very much just like wallowed (laughs) for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, very, very grateful for him just kind of like pushing me when I knew I needed to be pushed. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a big piece of it. Um, and then, yeah, I think just being persistent, like a lot of fundraising is just talking to enough people, um, it's like sales. So in a, in a way, it is a little bit of numbers game. And a lot of it is numbers game because you're still trying to figure out your story and what resonates and like figuring out your pitch. And so literally the day after that happened, I got on a call and someone was like, hey, we'd like to give you a term sheet. I was like, right. Okay, <laughs> got it. And so it was just, it, it was like, it's so easy to get wrapped up in all of the rejections and the negatives. Um, But I do think having someone who is like willing to give me a little push and be like, do not go into your dark place. Mm -hmm. You are fine. Like you're gonna keep pushing through this. And like, it was literally one day more of calls. Um, And then we got our term sheet. And of course, when someone gives you a term sheet then everyone else is like, oh my God, we'd love to give you money. I'm like, of course you would. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and well, one thing that struck me about that moment with your partner was that there was something about getting back in your body during yeah. that sort of spiral that was like, okay, go walk, go, go yeah. do something, get moving. That yes. helps kind of, yeah. And that sounded like a really low moment. And I, I just want to also point out that, <clears throat> you know, threes. So these sort of types, threes and sevens and eights are in a sense, the most likely to be founders. Um, And what I think, one of the things that I think distinguishes threes from sevens and eights is this um, identification, almost like my work product is me. And, and that it's in a sense, maybe harder for a three to like, to, to sustain constant rejection for this thing that is me, especially as you're saying as yeah. an early stage, single sort of like solo founder, it's like, um, cause giving you money is a vote of confidence in you. It's not even something that you've built necessarily yet, right?
0: Yeah. So,
1: and the dating right. analogy is actually really apropos in that sense, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so that was really vivid. Um, and what about now, in your role as CEO and having now built a team and what's it like for you to be sort of leading a team and what's maybe we'll we'll actually let me start there period go ahead
0: um it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. i one of my friends said a couple weeks ago he was like you know when you start a company it's almost like you get to start your own city and you get to make up all the rules, you get to bring in your own citizens, and you get to like, contribute something to like the country or whatever that you're in. Mm-hmm. And um, you get to pick what that thing is. And it's like having a little city. And so I, I really like that analogy. And it very much does feel like that. And there are really hard parts of of being a leader to, um, you know, having to to lay someone off, which I, you know, I had to do that. And mm-hmm. there are really cool parts of it, which is like, I hired someone totally out of my league and they're crushing it and like moving us like 10 times faster than I'd be able to do on my own. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it is about kind of the team that I've been able to bring on has just like, it's just been so cool to watch Mm -hmm. everyone be kind of just in the same boat that I've been in alone for so long to like have three other people in that boat with me is really cool. And then for them to also be excellent at their roles. And like for me to just like stand back and appreciate how hard it was to do their roles at like 20% <laughs> and have them do it at like 150% is just like, ugh, oh, it's just, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, leading honestly has felt natural at this stage. I imagine when it gets bigger, I'll have bigger problems. Um, but as like a very small city of, I think we're like, six people now. um, It's been really awesome.
1: Yeah. And can you share a little bit too about, particularly given what Candor is, the the feedback nature, that is the content, the guts of of what Candor is, how that plays in your company culture and the kinds of feedback that you are getting or giving and just what is feedback like in Candor?
0: Yeah. I mean, we have a really cool culture internally where everyone that signed on to be at this stage, like cares about the product. And I think the same way that I have candor kind of like as a part of my makeup, they also are are very similarly like direct, but also like super kind. Um, and it's cool. Like it comes out in, in various ways. Like our, our culture generally is very direct. Um, so I, our designer, uh, he's amazing, super direct guy. And one of our first few weeks working together, he looked at me and was like, are you gonna hire a product manager? And I was like, oh no, I wasn't planning on it. Like, that's me, I'm product manager. And he was like, we need to hire a product manager. You're not doing <laughs> <Yeah>. this well. <laughs> and I was like, ah, you know, like, thank you for telling me this. Like, <laughs> this is so cool. Like, I, I had this fear, I think, that nobody would say anything because all of a sudden you're like, they're, you know, big bad boss. And like, nobody's going to tell the boss something that they don't want to hear. And I think different than that, our culture from the very beginning has been like, like, Hey Kelsey, like this is not going well, or you're not doing this well, or, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. I'm not liking it. And so it is a very open culture, actually like 90% of our conversations in Slack or in public channels. Um, we have like an explicit rule of like, we don't, do DMs unless it's like really private. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been like one piece. And yeah, I think the other piece of we are like very into like retros on how things are going and we're very honest about what's going well and what's not. And I think like being open in the entire sense of the team is something I haven't experienced before. It's like, you can have an open relationship with your manager or you can have like an open relationship with a teammate, but it's never like all of the conversation and all of the problems are just like out for everyone to solve. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a really cool experience because I feel like the ownership or responsibility of culture is, is on everyone. And The problems of the company are everyone's to solve, not mine. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's been, I think, cool in that way because I feel very supported by that type of culture.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Um, It's almost like an organizational embodiment of authenticity itself, this, this sort of the virtue of the three. There's a way that... Yeah. And actually... I'm going to bring this up because I'm curious how this works for you. Like the vulnerability that you've shared with your team at this stage, I think is really inspiring. And the, like the retro that you, that you wrote about the person that you had to let go and what that was like for you. And can you share a little bit about what that process was like and and the response it got from the team and and how you feel like it's um, impacted the culture so far at Candor?
0: Yeah. So, so in the very early days of candor, um, I was hiring, um, made a hire about a month and a half in, was like, not sure if this is going to work out. We did kind of like a very open feedback process Mm -hmm. and then ultimately didn't work out Mm -hmm. around the same time that it wasn't working out. I brought on like three new, two new teammates. One of them was already on the team and it was a little bit awkward because everyone was like, what happened? You know, Mm -hmm. like, this person was on the team and now they're not like, yeah. is my job at stake? Like, yeah. what do I need to know? Like, what do I need to not do? Cause clearly like, you know, Kelsey easy to <laughs> not, not make happy or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. there was definitely like a discomfort that I was sensing and I chatted with everyone individually. And then I was like, you know what? I feel like I can kind of like, I can talk all I want, but I want to put something in writing where it's like, Hey. Here are the things that I messed up. Here's what went wrong. And here's what I'm going to do to not make the same mistake. And I told the team about it in like our sprint planning meeting and was like, hey, guys, I did a retro just for myself. Um, I'm happy to share it with whoever wants it. Um, I'd I'd like it to be just this team. So like, you know, future teammates don't need to be privy to the info. But -hmm. I think it's like appropriate to offer to share it with you Mm -hmm. so that you can understand kind of my thought process and my learning here. Mm-hmm. and so shared it with a couple of teammates and they were all like this was gutsy but like thank you for doing this because mm-hmm. one it'll help us hire better as you as we kind of like delegate hiring more and, and we have hiring decisions happening in parallel right. it'll help us understand kind of your thinking around culture fit and what that means mm-hmm. and also like it's cool to see you be so honest about like where are you fucked up and I was mm-hmm. like yeah, like it definitely wasn't the comfortable thing to do and I, you know, I hope that I can do it at larger stages of the company, but we're kind of at the stage now where I trust everyone to like take information and be an adult and like understand that these things are never easy. So, it was um definitely like very vulnerable and like a little uncomfortable, but I'm happy I did it.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah. And I think I mean one of the reasons I prompted you with that story is I one Mike's one of my experiences of the high side of three is, and I think this is sort of not talked about enough in the context of three is the, the willingness of the three to, um, to expose myself um, sort of uh, light, dark shadow, you know, all this, all the stuff. And even that, that language is, maybe overused in this space. I just mean like the way that we made, the, the mistakes that we've made, what we've learned, there's a, in a sense that is a, a, a an aspect of authenticity that is, um, I don't know, just kind of not really talked about enough in my opinion. And there's a way that like you're, you created a document in which you not just admitted certain mistakes, but also explained your own inner process around what caused those mistakes, how to avoid yeah. in the future. And it opened my sense is like a, a relational way of being at candor that it kind of set a precedent for honesty and for emotional vulnerability yes. these kinds of things. Right. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was kind of the coolest takeaway after it was people feeling like they could speak up if mm-hmm. something wasn't feeling right with culture or something wasn't feeling right with another teammate's performance. And it wasn't like running to me and being like, hey, Kelsey, this thing is happening. It's like just like having an open conversation because now we all know kind of what the baseline is and what should be expected. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like a cool kind of like accountability precedent too, where it's like now I'm not the only one in my head being like, oh, I learned that thing. I should do it better next time. Mm-hmm. It's like all of my teammates now also recognize that this is the thing that I've learned and that I yeah. should be held accountable to do better next time.
1: Right. Actually, just connecting a dot from a previous part of our conversation, like the Asana backlog of emotional processing, um, mm-hmm. and then opening that up to a state of actual just in the moment flow, that's sort of what's happening yeah. at the organizational level, too, as a result of that. Yeah. Thing. So, totally. that's, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, all right. Well, I think we'll come to a close here in just a second. Is there anything else that feels relevant that we didn't talk about?
0: I don't think so. Nothing comes to mind.
1: Okay. Um, What was this like for you?
0: This was fun. I liked it. It's, (laughs) um, yeah, I feel like usually I get on (laughs) calls about myself or about candor and, It's very like I know all the answers and uh, to the questions and Mm -hmm. this is a a different in the, in the way that I feel like we were just chatting and I definitely couldn't have prepared if you sent me the questions beforehand. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so yeah, it was cool.
1: Well, thank you for doing this. And also thank you for sharing with us and also in a sense, demonstrating your, um, my experience is a very beautiful capacity for self-reflection. And that's one of the reasons I think I'm doing this show in the first place is to um, have this be a thing that people can learn from. Um, So anyway, um, I just um, also one other thing is, yeah, I really just have a sense of like the light shining from in you around, not just candor, but also like who you are which is a maybe a three thing as well, just like the, the inner radiance of the three is really um, it's touching me in a moment. So thank you for oh, um, bringing that.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fun.